Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful hour. Guy Talk is going to be happening in about 60 seconds. And I've got an amazing panel today. I'm very excited about all my guests. Dr. Peter Kapschner is joining us via Skype all the way from Scotland, where he's already had dinner. And uh, he's probably getting ready to go to bed here pretty soon. So awfully glad he can join us. Uh, Pastor Tom Brock, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson is the power panel today. So we're, we're going to we're going to uh, open up the, the text line as well. Let us know if there's a subject or something you uh, saw in Scripture or maybe you read about it in the news and you just like a room full of guys to talk about it. We'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Let me take 60 seconds and get things started. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. How true that is. It is so important to learn and grow in our faith by getting into God's Word every day. Faith Radio can help with that. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up for the verse of the day. You'll receive a daily email with scripture and encouragement. Or sign up through a web link by texting the word VERSE to 555-888. Keep growing in your faith with the Faith Radio verse of the day. Each day, together, growing in our faith. There are things that have happened to me that I've thought, why have you let this happen to me? But I've also learned that I should never be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. So we just say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. A source of truth. Faith Radio. Welcome to Guide Talk. Awfully glad uh, you can be with us today. Let us know what the questions are you would like us to chew on. My wingman Terry's already got a question for us, but let me reintroduce the panel. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I got a bunch of great thinkers here, so let me ask a question asked by Terry. He said, Philippians 2.10 so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When Jesus is confronted by the Roman soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane and asks them who they seek, and they answer, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus replies, I am he. They draw back and fall to the ground. Is this not just a small glimpse into Christ's deity, but maybe a peek into the power of his second coming? That Philippians 2.10 may be referring to. Smart listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You well, know, it's, Bill, it's big. I'm going to know just really quickly, too. I think you and I, somewhere along the line, you and I were chatting about that very passage. I don't remember where and in what context, but I remember as we were talking, we sort of discovered that when Jesus uses that phrase, I am he, 
he he's not just identifying himself as yes, I'm the guy sort of you're looking for. Within the Greek language of the New Testament, it's really apparent when you see it that he's actually using sort of the phrase I am, which is the very sort of core revelation of God that we see in the Old Testament. When Moses asked God, who shall I say is sending me in reference to going to Egypt to deliver the people from Pharaoh? And God says, uh, I am that I am, or I am the I am. And so when Jesus declares this, there there's much more going on than just a self-identification, that the power and the authority of the Father is with him in those moments. So whether it is... Um, emblematic or representative of the second coming, I think is an open question, but clearly there was more than just him saying something. There was a real power there. And it sort of references a passage from Daniel 7, when we see Daniel's kind of caught up in this apocalyptic vision of seeing the end of all days. And, and in this beautiful passage in Daniel 7, you see that God sort of gives the keys uh, to heaven, uh, as, as, like a son of man descending on the clouds, and it's Jesus' second coming. And there we see the Ancient of Days, God on the throne, Jesus there to restore all things, and there's clear power of that. So he does reveal his divinity from time to time, and in this moment, phrasing it like the I am. I mean, if, if we could have been there somehow to experience it, I think that would have been the logical reaction. It's not some weird reaction to shrink back and fall over in fear when you hear the power of Jesus' declarative words. To look at what we've done in America, we've treated Jesus like Sunday school. When I was a little kid in Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. However, we created the Jesus that loves to hold lambs and always has a smile on his face. We forget about the Jesus that's righteous, the final judge. And I think of Hebrews chapter 10. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. This Jesus is someone we don't want to mess with. Mm -hmm. This is someone we want to revere now and bow to. And what I worry about are the Christians on the left who are taking Jesus and creating a Jesus that they want. And he's just loving. He's nothing but justice and all this and that. And yet they keep twisting him into he looks more like me and my culture than he does what the Word of God says. Frightens me because I've preached a lot in my life for 40 years. I still go to the pulpit. I still go to teach with fear and reverence because I'm speaking the name of Jesus, and there's power there, and it's real. And, you know, the passage of when, when Moses was before the burning bush about 1400 B.C., Moses says, God, what's your name? And he says, I am who I am. And then Peter brought up John, the Gospel of John, where Jesus has, the, is it the seven or the eight I am's? I am the good shepherd. I am the uh, true vine. I am the, there's seven of them. And, and I've been dealing with a, a woman who's in some, I think, cult and heavily into Judaism, says that they're Christians and followers of Christ, but they deny that Jesus is God. Only the Father is God. Jesus is not. And just the whole thing about I am who I am, Jesus is claiming to be the God in the bush that Moses talked to. And just I, I'm just saying this for anybody that's listening. I, I didn't understand that. I, I was raised in a good church. But it wasn't until I was 12, sitting in confirmation class, and the pastor explained the Trinity, that the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit, God, one God, three persons. My hand went up, and I got kind of angry. I said, what do you mean Jesus is God? I thought he was the Son of God. And it wasn't until I was 12 that I understood that Jesus is God. we got to preach this in our churches. And if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, you want to read John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Those are three of the clear places that teach Jesus is God, and he is fully man, but he's also fully God. Yeah, and I would, I would add to that Revelation chapter 1, mm -hmm. you know, and John yep. writing Revelation as well. Yep. I mean, he 
knew he was the disciple Jesus loved. He was the one that leaned back against Jesus and had that intimate relationship and knowledge of him. Is the one that wrote of him as the good shepherd who was mm-hmm. tender but also tough. But yet he's also the one who has eyes like flames of fire. And when he heard his voice like the roaring of many waters, he fell down on yes. his face like a dead man. And, and, and that's it's the whole on, thing. Piggybacking on that, Jesus pops up after the resurrection. And Thomas, he says, here I am, Thomas. And it says, G- Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I point out to Jehovah's Witnesses if they come to the door. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, whoops, you made a mistake, Thomas. Right. He says, you should have believed it without seeing it. And that's so. why I love the, the tetragram over Jesus on the cross in three languages. You've got Hebrew, you've got your Greek, and you've got your Latin. And the Jews got so upset because you read Hebrew right to left. And the tetragram are the first letters of each word in Hebrew. And 90% of the scholars I read and know, and I've done a lot of work on this, it spells Yahweh. And it, dry, it drove the Jews nuts. Don't say, you know, I am the king of the Jews. They wanted it changed. And right there, even on the cross, we get this witness of who Jesus is. He is Yahweh hanging mm-hmm. on the cross mm-hmm. for the sins of uh, the universe. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, the, the, this woman I've been kind of going back and forth with, there's kind of this arrogant, we understand the Bible properly. Jesus isn't God. Only the Father is God, and everybody else is in darkness. And it's just so sad because she's so close and yet so far away. I know. Yeah. It's like a song, like a carpenter song or something. I I don't know. Yeah, anyway. What were you going to say, Justin? (laughs) No, I was just, we could talk about this the whole hour. I mean, that's just the beautiful thing about Jesus. It's, it's, it's really the full picture, Mm -hmm. you know, of, of the, what is it about? I've been reading through, um, just the gospel of Matthew right now and just struck at how Jesus loves and welcomes the little children. And he seems to say that it's, these kids get me better than you do Mm -hmm. to all the scholars and to the religious elite and even to his own disciples that you must become like a little child to receive the kingdom. And so it's, it's on one hand seeing seeing Jesus through the eyes of a child, which, you know, I'm doing that day to day, you know, as I have young kids, but at the same time growing and having, balancing that, really that romance and that reverence in our relationship with Jesus. So Peter, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, you already gave a wonderful response. So I understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I I just going back to this, the one thing I do appreciate sort of this reduction of who Jesus is and it's a topic for another time, but um, the, the Jesus of our culture, who's sort of this, you know, permission giving kind of nice figure who sort of um, where love is the same as tolerance and embrace and all of that certainly is not the Jesus of the Bible. I just it's one of those things I think we could stand in our churches for uh, for any church that wants to be biblically based. I think they could stand to study the life of Jesus um, for a minimum of two to three years, just over a single gospel and really get a clear eyed vision of who this person was, because if he is the one that we're claiming to follow, being a Christian, we better have a clear-eyed vision of who he is, not all sort of the uh, accretion versions, as it were, meaning that there, there's so many different thoughts about Jesus that have just accreted over the years that just simply don't represent who he is. And so that passage, Terry, referenced in what you're saying, I think, is a wonderful starting place for reminding ourselves of who he is. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more of Guy Talk. Let us know if you've got a question or issue you'd like us to grapple with. 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH, 877-933-2484. They always say, say it three times. We'll be right back.
I always have to wait for that part. That's a sure some kind of a toe-tapping tune, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Tom. That that was my Lawrence Welk, (laughs) if you didn't catch that. I didn't catch it. I'm glad you uh, helped me understand what the impression you were doing. (laughs) Always a sign that it's not a good impression. Thank you, boys. (laughs) Let's move on. All right, Peter, I'm going to start with you because uh, I think I got this idea from you. But uh, when we're talking about um, tolerance nowadays, uh, people want the word tolerance to mean... Um, a complete approval, which is not what tolerance yeah, is. That's, yeah, that's exactly right, Bill. I think, I, I don't know about the circles in which you all run, but uh, certainly tolerance and approval and love are three words that you could, you know, for many people, you could put them in the same basket, maybe write them on a piece of paper, pull them out. And for many, all three of those words would mean the exact same thing. And so you're either a hater who is intolerant or you are somebody who is tolerant and embraces and loves. And again, it gets back to one of those things where I think it's really helpful to sort of dig a little bit beneath the surface in Scripture and and find out what at least the writers of Scripture meant when they said these words. It's not really that much of a mystery. It's not terribly hard to do and to learn the tools. And in my classes, it usually takes the students just even one day of learning how to use some of the Bible study tools and get beneath the surface and see what these meanings are. And so when it comes to the word love, uh, the Old Testament sort of main version of it has to do with this tender-hearted, passionate affection that is always moving towards and is always wooing uh, somebody back towards wholeness, and wholeness being defined as just a peaceful, complete, beautiful, without want kind of life in God's kingdom. Um, the, the 23rd Psalm actually in the Hebrew starts uh, by the idea of the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything I need for wholeness. Uh, And so you have that wholeness piece, and then you add the agape piece of the New Testament, meaning a willing to self-sacrifice, and you put these two terms together, and uh, and you have a God who is wildly and passionately affectionate towards us, like a parent towards their children, and then is willing to give up himself all the way to the point of becoming flesh and dwelling among us and dying on the cross uh, so that we could be whole. And so there's this beautiful self-sacrificing that happens, not because God's gritting his teeth, but because he loves us and he really wants wholeness. And so in all of that, when God excludes certain behaviors, like say maybe homosexuality or maybe you know stealing or lying or these different behaviors, it's not that he's holding out on us. Uh, he, he, it's because his love by very definition excludes those things which are going to be harmful to our soul. He's I mean, I think about it as a parent, if my kids are going out in the street, right, in front of our house, uh, and they're like, Dad, we're having so much fun out here. It's amazing. Just let us be. Just tolerate this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. And, and I know there might be a car coming around the, uh, the blind corner at any minute to wipe them out. The loving thing to do is to actually exclude Amen. them from playing in the street, no matter how much they think in the moment. <laughs> playing in the street is the very best thing that's happened to them. And, and so you know, we you know. have to unwed this idea of tolerance from love and really, again, get a clear-eyed version of love because it's a beautiful invitation. And then you, from that place, you're like, well, I'm not going to tolerate that, not because I'm some big mean curmudgeon mm-hmm. in the sky, but because I love you. Right. So, Peter, I was, uh, I, years ago, I was being interviewed by a secular radio show host, and uh, I had I had publicly talked about my personal struggle with same-sex attraction and yeah. the, the temptation yep. of all that. And this secular host says, well, Pastor Brock, you know, you have these feelings. Why don't you just go with this as who you are? And I said to him, I'm glad I didn't. I'd be dead. A lot of people 
have not made it to age the age I'm at because they went with it and they're dead. And God only wants what's best for us. And if he yeah. says don't jump in a cold lake, you know, he has good reasons for saying that. So it, it what's weird, and I'm Tom Parrish and I have, have fought in liberal uh, Lutheran circles for many years. The people who are promoting transgenderism, homosexuality, abortion rights in the church in the name of Christ, they think they're being loving and they're hurting yeah. people. That's what's yeah. really sad. You know, if you take it, it is sad. Go ahead, yeah, Peter. I was just going to say, you know, that the fruit of these things bearing themselves out of our time, you just referenced that, Tom, is that. Uh, it's interesting within the transgender movement, you're starting to see that millennial attitudes are shifting to become less permissive about transgenderism, which is super unusual given what you'd expect. But they're seeing now two to three to four years into the acceptance of transgenderism mm -hmm. and gender reassignment surgeries that young people are actually becoming more depressed, more anxious, more confused yeah. on a general basis. And so the false promises are being revealed and they're like, hang on a minute, maybe this isn't what we actually want to do. And, and no matter how much it seemed right in the moment, the heartbeat of God's kingdom is that we trust that he knows what's best, and we lean into that even if we don't understand. And Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself. Yes. Not, not do whatever you feel you are. You deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So, Years ago, I, I taught uh, speech and, and debate when I, was in high, when I taught high school, right out of uh, college, before I went to seminary. Interestingly, I always taught my students this. Whoever can define the debate will win the debate. In other words, if I can define the parameters of debate, I can set up the question I want. I can set up the parameters you've got to respond to. I've already won. And that's what the culture is doing today. The parameters are get Jesus off the throne, make love, tolerance, and acceptance the throne, the center. And that way you're really a wonderful person. But do you think about it? The devil's worked overtime to remove Jesus from our consciousness, even to get the name of Jesus spoken in most churches today. is a, is a nightmare. We, we talk about God, 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 and we live in a pluralistic age where there are thousands of gods, but Jesus is a different matter, yeah. and we've I, got to get back to that. I, my niece got married by a very liberal United Church of Christ pastor. He didn't mention the word Jesus. He did talk in vague terms about the energy of God's love and tap into that energy. It sounded more New Age than anything. But yeah, if you can preach a whole sermon without mentioning Jesus or God the Father, something's wrong. Right. Well, it's interesting you say, you know, defining the parameters, how even our culture is redefining the, the definition of terms. So, I mean, the original meaning of tolerance was actually the, the, in, in, to be able to endure error in light of the truth. And if you look at someone who's the most <laughs> tolerant, it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think just think of all his false trials and, 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 and everything that he went through the night of his, before his crucifixion, during his crucifixion. And yet he loved, he said he loved his own, he loved them to the end, mm -hmm. and that he held on uh, to... So, yeah, so his, his mode of operating was he absolutely refused to budge on the truth, mm -hmm. but he was extremely loving to the most messed up sinful people. Yeah. I think we've got to keep that balance. We're all messed up sinful people, mm -hmm. but do not... I mean, I, I had an email, Pastor Brock, should I go to my nephew's gay wedding? Mm -hmm. What should I do? And I, I wrote her back, I said... I would lovingly tell him, I love you, I'll always love you, but because I love you, I'm not coming to the wedding because I don't want you to go into a behavior that will have a bad eternity for you. And so we do both. We love and we hold the truth and we don't budge on that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been said, and I think there's there's something to this, that, I mean, Jesus was the one who was full of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think love is the thing that holds the tension between Amen. the two. That's good. I think also 
one of the problems I see in the culture, and in the last 25 years I've dealt a lot with the occult, witchcraft, you name it, demonic, whatever terms you want to use. And there is a movement to try and keep everybody away from the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no power anywhere else. And when you use the name of Jesus and you know how to properly use it, whether it's with the demonic, whether it's with people caught up in things, incredible things happen. But uh, early in my ministry, I had a woman that tried to commit suicide. She was a young mother, had a couple of kids, and she had slit her wrists, and then a neighbor found her. And uh, I went to visit her afterward, and I said, well, what was that like? What, why did you do that? And she said, oh, I was just depressed. Da, da, da. I said, well, then what happened after your heart quit? Because they had to restart her heart. And she said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, I do. Mm-hmm. And so we talked for the next hour and a half. She said, Pastor, you won't believe this. I went to hell. And she said, if you think this is real, you should have been where I was. I said, well, what would you do? She said, I kept screaming, God, God, save me, God, save me. Well, what happened? I kept descending further and further. It was absolutely horrible. I said, well, then how did you come back? How did you get back? She said, I remember from Sunday school, Jesus loves me. This I know. And I said, Jesus, save me. I woke up in recovery. Wow. There is power. We don't use it enough. We don't understand it. And it's got to be brought back to this culture. C.S. Lewis said, do you want to know how to wreck a fancy dinner party? (laughs) <laughs> he said, wait, wait till there's a lull in the conversation and mention the word Jesus. Absolutely. And watch people get nervous, tear into their water glasses and change the subject because mm-hmm. it's the name of power. Mm-hmm. And if you're not living under his authority, can we please change the subject? You know, mm-hmm. Acts well, 4.12, salvation is to be found in him alone. Mm-hmm. In all the world, there is no other, no other name, name by which right. you can be saved. So there is no name more powerful than Jesus. That's it right. will divide a room faster than anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is interesting, you know, when when you talk about taking the Lord's name in vain, and people will say Jesus Christ in a way that is in huh. vain, it's purposeless. Yeah. Why is it only His name? I've never heard anyone stub their toe and yell, "Oh, Buddha!" Amen. You know, right, or, right. or or no. you know, it's there's something that's there is power there. Yeah. And it to be used properly and, is is to to worship. And, and I want to ask people to do uh, something I developed years ago that I still do. Whenever I hear someone say, "Oh my God," I stop and I pray for them. Mm-hmm. I pray for people a lot because of that habit. Bet you do. And it's people don't know that they're taking the Lord's name in vain, but uh, it's worse when they say Jesus Christ. But, mm-hmm. oh, my God, is bad enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. Uh, if you have a question or an issue you'd like us to discuss, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. Rebecca, I'm going to ask you to pull that music down a little bit. And uh, as we go out here, I'm going to, Tom, Pastor Tom, Brock, why don't you take uh, 20 Start seconds? Start spreading the news. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I was oh. thinking maybe sing a little hymn for 20 oh, something seconds. something Christian. Yeah, oh. something Christian. Um, I just sang. Have you, ever, have you ever? This used to be on KTIS radio all the time. Have you ever heard this? I sang this on TV. We just taped the show. Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of taking a hand and Finding it God's, of breathing new air, and finding it celestial, of waking up in heaven, and finding it home. Has nobody heard that? I don't know. We'll that probably used hear to be more on about KTIS. it after the break. We'll be right back. <laughs> show guy talks underway got uh, quite a power panel today dr peter kapster 
Pastor Tom Brock, Justin Jepson, and Pastor Tom Parrish is the team. Let us know if you have questions, anything you'd like us to chew on. We'd certainly love to hear from you, and we would be happy to talk about uh, just about anything. Um, so what about the United Methodist Church? Seems to be collapsing faster than usual. Mm-hmm. Sure is. I, I just I interviewed a while ago two conservative United Methodists, and they, they knew this was coming. And I don't know, maybe you guys have read more about it than I do, but I think the conservatives are okay with the split because they get to leave and keep their property. And and actually, the liberals are paying them like $25 million. But if, and I, if I misunderstood this, I hope I didn't, but I think the liberals get to keep all the seminaries and everything, which is, a, I could be wrong on that, but I don't know of any seminaries that are going to go to the conservatives. If somebody knows that, give us a call. But it's, it's, it's inevitable that it's calm because you can't, you can't serve two masters, and the United Methodist Church has been doing that for a long time. And so many denominations have moved into that because we want the world's approval more than we want the Lord's approval. And I know that's a tough one, but, you know, as I've traveled overseas to Nepal, Bangladesh, those areas, lived among those people in the jungle, they are willing to die for their faith in Jesus. They are willing to put up with anything that comes their way. They expect their families to be brutalized, and they think nothing of it. And I, I remember saying to one of them, well, is it worth it following Jesus to go through everything you go through? And one of the guys who had been a former Muslim who had met Jesus in a dream looked at me with his funny face and said, it's almost like you want to say, what's wrong with you? Uh-huh. He said, of course, yeah. there's nothing better. We know the truth. We know where we're going. Yeah. And that's what we've lost in this culture. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's uh, fair to say that you really can't hold the tension in that conversation in the United Methodist Church in terms of keeping the body together and being on such divergent sides of that issue. I think it's happening in the Covenant Church as well. And I I, I think, you know, I try to, partly because it's my profession, just having to take the other side of the argument so that I can understand it in the classroom and, and help present it for the students and, and then sort of critically analyze it. And, and partly just out of curiosity, I, I'm curious because I, I know a lot of pastors, I know one specific pastor in the United Methodist Church, and I know a number of them within the Covenant Church, and uh, three specific friends of mine who may have been on one side of this issue that I would have agreed with, saying that traditional marriage between male and female is what is consistent with God's kingdom. Three of them have actually now, they've gone to the other side of this conversation. Mm. They would go ahead and affirm uh, gay weddings. And so for me, I, I try to understand, so why? What is yeah. their thinking? Because they're not dumb. Um, they're incredibly intelligent, uh, quite bright young men. And so, um, and, and I don't think they're just sort of like, I've watched their wrestling with it, um, and all of that. But, and, and what I've found is it's come down to the fact that it, it's less a question about same gender relationships and more a question of what you believe to be true about scripture, mm-hmm. because it's pretty tough to make a scriptural argument in support of gay, uh, gay weddings, any kind of same gender relationships, you just can't get there. It's it's too much exegetical gymnastics and tumbling routines yes, to try to is. bend and twist passages to do that. And so in light of that, you, you'd have to take a different tact. And the scriptures have really, the authority and the inspiration of the scriptures have really been under attack over the last 60 to 80 years by liberal seminaries, by sort of you know, these way too inside baseball kinds of things of, of critical literature and, and critical history and, and looking back and trying to suggest that the Bible is a pretty wholly unreliable document. Mm-hmm. And and if you get sway- persuaded by that argument, 
then your next argument becomes, well, we're going to be led by the Spirit into new ideas and new things, into new truths, and uh, and it's becoming clear to us that God is on some sort of redemptive arc in the sense that he redeemed women in our society, he redeemed racial rela- uh, relationships in our society, and this is the next thing. So that's the thinking that is underneath it that people are being persuaded by, yep. and I think trying to understand that thinking is, uh, it can be really helpful, because I'd be, I'd be, I'd be careful to not label people as sort of dumb or they're just deciding to harden their hearts completely. But there is a delusion and there and there is, um, I think, oftentimes for reasons that people we know close to us are now coming out as being gay or lesbian. And we don't want to turn them away again for understandable reasons. And you don't know how to act. It almost feels safer to you somehow to reimagine what scripture means versus excommunicating your loved one. Mm-hmm. Like when faced with that choice, yeah. I can see the rationale, even though I don't agree with it. And and I would hate to even be at all interpreted as supporting of that right now. I'm just trying to understand it so, at its core. It's Peter, Peter, so I'm, I spoke at a church in Florida on the homosexual issue because I <laughs> yeah. it's been a struggle for me. And so I, I, I did the biblical stuff and one grandma stood up. Yeah, but my grandson's a homosexual. Yes. And another lady, oh, but my son's a homosexual. And I'm sitting there thinking, so what? I've got same-sex attraction. So right. what? The Bible says what it says. And, you know, uh, an old uh, pastor who's not dead when we were fighting this fight in the Lutheran church said and to a bishop who was very liberal, Scripture remains an immovable obstacle to the acceptance of homosexuality. And this was a yeah. bishop who was promoting the view that, well, yes, promiscuous homosexual sex is wrong, but a committed relationship's okay. And he said, that's like saying, well, it's wrong to rob a lot of banks, but to rob one bank consistently, that's okay. And my question is, these people that were conservative and now they have turned around and become liberal, I don't, what's their motive? Why? Why give yeah. up the truth? Like what you just said, because it, it feels better, so people will like you, I suppose. And I think some of it is kind of an arrogance that we're enlightened now, and we know better yes. than all the Christians who have come before us. Mm-hmm. Well, we've intellectualized. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. go ahead. We've intellectualized Jesus. He's an abstract. He's not a real human being or a, a real God that we've got to give account to. Think about it. If every night at 6 o'clock, after a long day at work and dealing with gay people and everything else, we had to sit down in front of Jesus for 10 minutes and give an account, and he would say, wrong, wrong, mm-hmm. change your mind. No, that's not the way you should think. I think a lot of us would be different. But we don't get that. We read the scriptures or we don't read them. We don't get the confrontation of Jesus, but we do get the confrontation of people that disagree with us. Yeah. And human nature is to give in to that because we get tired. And there are very few people that can go long-term in the storm and still stand. Well, mm-hmm. and, and Tom, what Peter said about these people changing because of relatives and stuff, um, I just uh, remember that with, but I'm bump, it's going. I, I, I can see it. I can't, I can't it remember what I was <laughs> yeah. going to say. Yeah. Uh, next. <laughs> A little. <laughs> see your well, moment. While while Thank you're, you, Tom. Oh, okay, no, I'm sorry. Here, oh, there it, it is. It came back. Okay. You know, people will ask, how, how can some of these liberal pastors get a, around the, cl- what do you mean, darn? <laughs> how can some of these, <laughs> do, do we need to go to a break? Okay. <laughs> They'll say, how do they get around the clear teaching of Scripture on these issues? And I'll tell you how they do. It, the the motto of the most liberal denomination, the United Church of Christ, do you know what it is, the motto? God is still speaking. Meaning, oh yeah, maybe he was against abortion and homosexuality and premarital sex in the first century, but 
He's saying new things today. And what are those new things? Whatever I say, he says, that's what he's saying. That's how they get around those hard scriptures. Yeah. And what's really interesting, not to minimize the the presence of this conflict within our country and and, and the West and North America, but it's been interesting the little that I've heard about the breakdown of the United Methodist Church and how that's affecting um, other nations who look at the church globally. And because the, the Methodist Church has sent out so many missionaries, mm-hmm. there are um, uh, African United Methodists that are yeah. saying, going back, and actually one of them that, that said something rather bold said, we've already been colonized. We don't want to be, don't colonize us with your American conflict yeah. over here and making us divide. Because they're conservative. Because they, they, they're all unified on this yes, issue. They are. And, but I think to bring it back around, it does go back to tolerance. And in order to know what we're supposed to tolerate, we need to know what's true. In order to know what's true, we need to have it. We have to be clear on what's our authority by which we determine what's true. Oh. And if it goes back to you know when Peter was talking about uh, the the veracity of Scripture, if it's not that, then what is it? Because mm-hmm. right. everyone has an authority that they subject themselves to. Yep. It might be myself, my own intellect. It might, might might be my emotions. It might be my own community. But everyone has an authority. That they subject themselves to. And when to. you reject that authority, I, I mean, everybody was talking about Ricky Gervais and what he said at the Golden Globe Awards, barbecuing Hollywood for preaching to us when they sub, have supported for years like Weinstein and, and all that. And he said, you are, please don't give political speeches tonight. You are in no position to preach on morals to the American people. It was, a, But the bigger thing of the night, did anybody watch it? Um, I taped it and watched it. Michelle, is her last name Williams, Mm -hmm. gets Best Actress, and she got up and praised abortion rights. I'm here tonight because of the choice that I made uh, to have children when I want them. And her basic point was, because I had an abortion years ago, I'm able to receive this Oscar tonight. And I I thought, what? It was a horrible statement. Of course, she was loudly applauded. So I did a little check. She was raised in a conservative Christian home. But once you reject that, it is anything well, and, and goes. praise God, her mother did not choose abortion. No, that's right. I, I was hoping somebody would get up afterwards knowing it wouldn't happen and say, tonight I want to thank my mother because I wouldn't be here if she didn't choose to give me life. Right. But nobody did. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish mentioned witchcraft. It seems that there is that that there is this normalization, especially in literature for young adults. Any thoughts on that? I'm getting pushback from my teenage daughter and my husband. She has suffered from nightmares since she was little, so it seems prudent to guard closely against that. Am I overreacting? I keep thinking about that enemy crouching at our door. If we crack the door for him, he will uh, not try to take advantage of that loosening of our guard. Thanks for your thoughts. Well, I know how real it is, and um, I didn't go looking for this in my ministry. I thought I was going to preach and teach the gospel, but I kept having people literally show up at my door, even when I was at Hope with Tom, and they would, I'd say, well, why are you here? I've never met you. Well, I heard a voice. It said, go in and talk to him. And so often these people come in, and they're hearing voices, and I'd always say, are you going to your doctor? What medications are you on? Can I talk to your doctor? Can we make arrangements? And I did talk to some of them. The reality is children are the most vulnerable to this kind of thinking. You have a teen suicide rate today. And we talk about, well, it's the culture and it's the intolerance and everything else. No, I think there's a lot more demonic involved than we realize. And we don't know how to address it. The church, you look at one third of Jesus' ministry dealt with the demonic. Yeah. One third. How much do we deal with that on Sunday morning in the church? sure don't. Can I give a (laughs) plug, though? If people, there's a wonderful ministry in the Twin Cities called uh, 
Lighthouse International in Shoreview, Minnesota. And we we interviewed that man, and he got a lot of phone calls of people wanting help. So if people need yep. help, it's called Lighthouse International right here in Shoreview, Minnesota. And another one is called New Dawn Ministries okay. here in Minnesota as well. And I just met with the chairman the other night, uh, and he was drawn into this. He does; He's not a pastor, yeah. but the Lord pulled him into this, and he has people literally coming to him out of the blue mm-hmm. saying, I was told to come speak to you. Good. Mm. Peter, your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I just, um, I think it's Tom that you said that, um, you know, one-third of Jesus' ministry was around just sort of the supernatural. In the Bible, very much, there, there's an assumed worldview in the Bible that absolutely accounts for uh, the fact that we are living in a, in a supernatural kind of world. And and I think the worldview of Scripture is so different than our worldview. I think, you know, the Americas are, are some of the few places in Europe as well, where I am right now, that have an inherent skepticism about the spiritual realm. And thus, because of that, none of us have really maybe been effectively uh, equipped and trained outside of some of the ministries that you reference. But Bill, I'll never forget, I, I was at a, a local church uh, just in the northern part of the suburbs of Minneapolis, and uh, they were doing a conference or a seminar at one point, and, uh, and I watched a woman who, the way her body was being contorted physically and the strength with which it was happening, uh, there was really no other explanation for the fact that she could be doing that other than some sort of demonic possession. And I, and I watched people come around and pray and exercise the demon in those moments, and I realized that for whatever maybe I've learned in my PhD that has been helpful and, and I'm grateful for it and I can think through some of these things hopefully with some clarity from some of those places, there's so much of our spiritual journey that I am completely just... I don't know what to do with it exactly because I didn't grow up in that kind of environment that assumed a spiritual realm. And if I did, so often people, as I've, I've said before in the show, they might come up and say, "Hey, I have a word for you." And and let's just say that that I'm greeted with <laughs> I greet that with some pretty significant cynicism and basically say, "Well, I have a word for you too," but it may not be <laughs> what you think in this moment. <laughs> um, and and so I don't know what to do with that exactly. And and if I had a different lifetime to live, I, I would love to start by growing up in an assumed worldview of the supernatural and the mm-hmm. paranormal around us so that maybe I would not have sort of the inherent skepticism, but I can't otherwise explain what I saw with my own eyes uh, those many years ago when that happened. Well, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we have one more segment of Guy Talk, 877-93-FAITH. If you have a text question you'd like us to uh, grapple with, let us know. I appreciate the power panel here in the studio, pa- uh, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Enjoying Guide Talk today. Great power panel in the studio. We've still got some questions coming in. Uh, Madison wants to know, how do you trust Christ with your mind and thinking when you feel lacking in faith or insecure in your relationship with Christ? How do you explain trusting Christ over trusting your own mind? Pastor Tom, you want to jump on that one? Yeah, that's a good question. And what it comes down to is you've got to make a decision somewhere along the way. And I started trying to do this a long time ago, that when my emotions would get in the way, when I would get fearful, whatever else, I would go back and say, but Jesus said, and Jesus is the truth. And I found that if I kept going back and doing that over and over and over again, I began to make the transition. 
because it's real easy to let my emotions overwhelm me, my fears. I mean, I've had cancer. I've, I've twice I've come near death. I know what that's about. And so you can get really fearful until you say, wait a minute, Jesus is real and Lord, and he's the only one I'm going to trust in because he gave me life and he will take my life when the time comes and I will be with him forever. And it took away most of that fear. Now, that's not to say I don't have moments. We all do. But it is not the dominant drive of my life anymore like I see in so many people. All right, Tom, you got a groupie, just so you know. A listener named Michelle said, loving Tom Parrish, Bill, book him for a show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm putting you on solo. That would be dangerous. But I'm bummed. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know her? No, I have no idea. Very sweet. Just a listener. That's, that That's likes sweet. what you're saying. That's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, I, you know, I don't. I guess I'd have to know more of where this listener's coming from. But I think if if it's coming to the point of you know having intellectual doubts, uh, you know, I think sometimes we can be afraid of those, and I think sometimes doubting is actually the pathway to deeper faith. Right. And and so I would say. Um, you know, for this particular listener, um, stay stay in the Word, uh, immerse yourself in Christian community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and don't. I think sometimes we feel you know God's scared of our doubts, and I love that we talked about doubting Thomas, and, you know, th- that idea of my Lord and my God, mm-hmm. and I love how Jesus, he just he he gave the evidence that yep. was needed for that particular disciple, and to trust that he will do the same for for you. And, and I think the way my I I'm a guilt ridden guy, I always have been. And I fight to believe the promises of God that all my sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And what helps me do that is, you know, the story where the lady comes in, the prostitute, and weeps on Jesus' feet and uses her hair to wipe him and uh, with her uh, hair and then put perfume on his feet. And, and she knew Jesus had forgiven her. That's why she's so sloppy emotional. But nevertheless, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the question is why he did that when she already knew she was forgiven. It's called the absolution. Your sins are forgiven. And here's the deal. A lot of churches they used to, and and you, every Sunday you confess your sins in church, and then the pastor pronounces the absolution, or you go up to communion, and they say, shed for the forgiveness of all your sins. The promises of God, the Christian fellowship, helps me do what this caller is talking about, put my mind on Christ instead of get sucked into what my Evil, misled feelings are telling me all the time. And so to scripture, Christian fellowship, Holy Communion, talking with other people deeply about the Lord, uh, clinging to the promises. I think that's the way you get into the mind of Christ rather than your own emotions. One of the advantages I've had being married to my wife for 47 years, and she's a teacher and then was a principal, is that I would preach and I would say, we need to repent and trust Jesus. And afterward, on the way home, she'd smack me upside of the head and say, well, how do you repent? Why aren't you telling people what that is? I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, what are the steps involved in repentance? And if you don't start, if you're using terminology like repent and Mm -hmm. confess and and trust in Jesus and personal relationship, but the pastor, the leaders, the teachers don't define that Mm -hmm. in a way that's practical, most people have no way to grab onto that. And so they turn to secular psychologists, they turn to secular counselors, because at least they try to give them some practical tools to deal with this. What we just keep saying is trust Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. But it's more than that. How do you trust Jesus? And so I learned a long time ago that in both preaching, teaching, and writing, I better spell things out. And I can be wrong. You can tell me that my outline is wrong, and that's okay. But at least I'm trying to do something that gives people steps on how to deal with this mm-hmm. rather than just wonder what does it mean. Yeah. Do people uh, misuse the saying, it was God's will? <laughs> 
Yes and no. I'm biting my I mean, tongue I mean, on it, this one. It can be a, a handle, something that you can say if you don't know what to say, but is it, it, does it get misused? I think it's always true, but you don't always say it. I think if, this is the way I believe, some Christians would disagree, if I got a, a death sentence from the doctor that I've got three months to live, I would see that coming from the Lord. A bird does not fall to the ground apart from our Father. Now, I wouldn't rush up to some poor guy that's been told, you know that's God's will, because that's ridiculous. But it's still true. Mm-hmm. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is that? That uh, Ephesians 1? Ultimately, a Pharaoh can... J- 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 Moses says, don't send me to the... I can't speak. And God says, who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord... And Micah says, can a disaster come against a city unless the Lord has done it? That shows God in control of our catastrophes, and I like that. Some people want it to be chance or the devil. No, no, I want God to be in control of my cancer, you know? so. But it's hitting the balance of that. I mean, I've buried four children in my ministry. One choked to death on a pee at 18 months old. Uh, my own grandson was killed by my former daughter-in-law yeah. by her own behavior, and he was only six mm-hmm. weeks old. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, two murders and a couple of, you know, quite a few suicides. So it's really hard to say to a parent who just buried their 18-month-old child, that was God's will. Yeah. Now, it may be true in mm-hmm. the long run, but not true in the sense that God said, hey, that child doesn't have a chance, and I'm going to wipe that baby out mm-hmm. before they can get mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. But that in the midst of all of that, that's where all things work together for good. The Lord will weave his will through all of that to bring it where he wants it to go. But in terms of does Jesus grieve over our sinful behavior. And so much of the pain we have in life is not simply due to nature, is not simply due to circumstances, it's due to people. Yeah. And there's the problem. We are the issue, and that's where we have to address it. So sometimes you can literally say it is God's will. On the other hand, what can the Lord take out of that if somebody murders somebody else, mm-hmm. especially a child? Well, you think of this, though, Tom. Joseph's brothers uh, threw him in a well, tried to kill him, sold him into slavery. And then later Joseph says, you meant it for evil, brothers, but God meant it for good. Yes. So that's Roman. That's the Genesis 50, 20 is the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. Yeah. That God works all things to the uh, for the good of those who love him. I agree. Yeah. Here's the struggle, though. You have 25,000 children who die of starvation every day in mm-hmm. this world. Mm-hmm. 25,000 today, 25,000 tomorrow, 25,000 the next day. How do we even talk to Christians about that that makes sense, that our loving God who died for us on the cross is responsible for those children dying? And we don't have good answers. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. We don't have a good way of addressing that. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus is still Lord, and he still will have the final word. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this is the understandable troubling question, right? And if somebody has all the answers for it, then they'll be the first in theological history as far as I've seen um, with that. So I'm always a little hesitant to chime in on these because anything that I might contribute, I would reserve the right to be a rough draft because I just think it's, it's a really difficult issue. I think one potentially promising pathway to throw in there is that the scriptures are also relatively clear that the current state of this world is that uh, it's being ruled by the principalities and the powers of the earth, uh, or of the air. I mean, the, this present darkness is what it's referred to. And 
Uh, it's a place where there is an entire lack of shalom going on because it is being ruled temporarily in these ways. And and um, one way to think of God's sovereignty isn't necessarily that all the affairs of the earth are happening because he deems it so, but his sovereignty is that he will redeem and restore, and that at the end of the day, the only thing left standing is his sovereign kingdom. And so as we as travelers and aliens and, and sojourners in a foreign land, we're traveling towards our destination, and our destination is secure, the, the redemption is coming, but the journey is going to be fraught with peril. And And so again, I think somewhere in there we have to account for the fact that we're living in a time and an age that isn't uh, that that at least somehow this present darkness is having sway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today on Guy Talk. We're uh, down to our last minute, which means Tom, I'll give you another twenty seconds, fifteen. What would you like? Nasanatra. Uh, belt something. Uh, belt something out. Belt out. I love him. And you can sing this with me. Sure, uh, Rebecca's under the weather. Oh, you I'll, sing it, I'll sing it again. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the best old hymn. That's a beautiful oh, I love, that. I love hearing love that. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I look forward to the next time we gather together and enjoy this time of fellowship. It's been wonderful. Uh, if you missed any of it, go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can go to the web page and the show page and start it from the beginning. We'll take a little break, and I'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.